This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. So today is the second Sunday of Lent. Lent is the 40 days preceding Easter where we set aside some just new rhythms, new routines in our life to remember who Jesus is, what he's done. Many of us during Lent, we've chosen to put something down this year as a way to remember every day that the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So when your hand naturally uh, reaches for that candy jar that's in your office, you're reminded, nope, I gave that up. And this is what Jesus gave up for me. Others of you might have picked up some new things, um, maybe some, some new activities, some new disciplines as a way to remember the new life Jesus has brought to you. But either way, whatever your approach to Lent, my hope is that these 40 days are a period of spiritual renewal for you, a time where you are being intentional to think about the difference that Jesus makes in your life. And uh, what we're doing together as a church during Lent this year is exploring the wholeness of life that Jesus brings to us. So last week, my friend uh, Jason Patterson started this series for us by talking about um, how spiritual wholeness, right relationship with Jesus, is the foundation for every other experience of wholeness that we have. And that, that we can't want something from Jesus more than we want Jesus himself. Now, over the next couple weeks, we're going to work our way through several of these other ideas of spiritual wholeness, vocational wholeness, financial wholeness, all of these kind of one-by-one going through them. But my hope is that through it all, you remember the underlying foundation of you will never experience true and lasting wholeness in any area of your life without a relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's only from a soul that's at peace with him that you can find peace in any of these other areas. This morning, we're going to kind of jump into the individual prayers that we're praying for you. Um, we've, we, uh, in 2020, feel like this is a year for us as a church to embrace the whole life wholeness that Jesus offers to us. So to this point in the year and through the rest of the year, our, our staff every Monday, we are praying through these ideas for everyone who comes to Christian Chapel this year. We're praying that this will be your experience and that out of your experience, wholeness will flow into other people as well. So we're going to jump in this morning to vocational wholeness. Now, uh, the word vocation comes from a Latin word that means to call. So when we speak about vocation this morning, uh, we're not just talking about the job that you might get paid to do. Because I, I know there are some of us, you're, you're students, you're a stay-at-home parent, you're retired, you're not in a spot where you are actively working. And, and if that's you, I don't want you to feel like, hey, great, today I get to be exempt and you can just yell at everyone else for the, the next 25 minutes, uh, 30 minutes, let's, 35. Uh, you know, we'll see. Um, but, but that's not it. What, vocation is whatever you're called to do. So in any area that you invest your time, energy, talent, in any place where you're pouring in your blood, sweat, and tears, that's your vocation. That's what we're talking about. Now, it, it obviously does include the thing that you get paid to do if you're working, but it can also include all kinds of other things. If you're a student, it includes your school. If you're an athlete, it can include your team. If you're a musician, it can include all of those expressions. If you're a parent, it includes your relationship to your child. So what many of us will find this morning is, is we have a couple calls on our life. You know, like for me, there's a, a calling as a pastor. There's a calling as a husband. There's a calling as a father. And I have to work in each of these areas. And I want to experience wholeness in each of these areas as I apply my time, my energy, my talent. So as we, as we talk through this this morning, I'm going to use the word vocation and work interchangeably and, and probably honestly use the word work more than vocation. But I'm trusting that each of us are, are smart enough to hear 
the, the underlying thing. We're talking about the things that you are called to do and how you approach them and why you approach them that way and, and just kind of make the application to yourself in your life and, and let the Spirit speak to you about the, the things that he wants to this morning. So the, the first thing we have to understand is we have to understand the, the unique dynamics of our experience of work. Because when we start to talk about work in, in a room like this with this many people, we have all kinds of different thoughts about what it's like and how it happens and why we do it. So I, I want to take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, then we'll look at Genesis chapter 3 real quick to learn about why our experience of work can be so weird at times. So the first thing we learn in Genesis 2 is that you and I were created to work. Genesis 2.15 says that the Lord took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden and he put him to work caring for the garden. So what we need to understand is before sin entered the world, before we had ever done a single thing wrong, before there were any effects of sin in all of creation or in our relationship with God, God created us to work. Now, now for some of us, that might be mind-blowing in itself, because work has never felt like anything but a curse to you. right? And, and you just thought, well, I, I can't wait till I die and go to heaven, and I don't have to work anymore. It's just going to be like playing a harp on a cloud with an angel and, you know, somebody will probably feed me grapes. And you've got this really weird picture that you probably got more from a toilet paper commercial than you got from the Bible itself. But that's okay. What the scriptures teach us in Genesis 2 is we were created to work. And, and so what we have to stop and consider then is if Jesus promises that he will return and he will create a new heavens and a new earth in that new space, you know what we'll do? We'll work. He's going to have things for us to do, things for us to care for. And so if we, if we kind of have that approach to work, if I hate it, I don't want to do it, it's kind of like, hey, eternity might be bad news for you. Because that's what you're going to do. But the reason we don't like it is not because we were created for it, but because sin has corrupted God's original design. So if you flip over to Genesis 3, you see what happens. In Genesis 3, you find the story of the entry of sin into the world. And you're, you're familiar with that story, right? The, the woman gives in and she eats the, from the tree they're not supposed to eat from. She has her husband. He does the same thing. And then the Lord comes and he tells them the results of their sin. So he speaks to Eve and says, hey, because you sinned, this is what's going to happen to you. And then he speaks to Adam and says, because of your sin, this is what's going to happen to you. And the, the, the curse that he gives to Adam is really related to work. And so I want to read that to you, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So what we learn in Genesis 3 is, yes, God created us to work, but sin has thoroughly corrupted our experience of work. And work is hard because of sin. Now, I know we don't have a lot of farmers in the room, but I, th I think we're all smart enough to make the application. For some of you, as we read through that, it sounded like your current job description. Cursed is the ground. Painful toil. Thorns and thistles, right? Not literal thorns and thistles, but you have names. Like, he's a thorn, she's a thistle. They all bother me. They all cause pain. I would like to break them all off. Uh, all, you, you've got those thoughts. By the sweat of your brow. 
you know, whether you are literally physically exerting yourself at work or it's the, the more emotional, mental exertion, we all know what it is to work hard because work is hard. We know what it is to be tired. We know what it is to be frustrated. We know what it is to work in a space and expect a certain result to not achieve it. Why? Because sin has come and corrupted our experience of work. Now, as followers of Jesus, we believe that he not only comes to forgive us of sin and redeem us and restore us, but that that's his intention for all of creation, that his redemption and restoration is supposed to flow through us and into the world. So as Christians, then, our expectation could be, well, I follow Jesus, so I shouldn't have to live under the curse of sin at work anymore, right? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, you're right. Your relationship with Jesus should radically transform your view of work and your experience of work. And we're going to get into that towards the end of this morning's message. But the reality we live in is even as I work as a a fully redeemed person living out the new life Jesus has bought me, I'm still working in a culture, in an economy, in an office, on a job site, in a school that has been corrupted by the effects of sin. And I'm working with other people who suffer from the effects of sin. And so even as I am fully and wholly devoted to Christ, I'm still going to experience some of this cursed is the ground, painful toil, sweat of your brow type stuff when I go to work. So work is always a space where even as we are whole, we still encounter brokenness over and over and over again. So, so then when you start to think about vocational wholeness, you have to stop and think, well, why, in what ways do we experience vocational brokenness? If Jesus is making us whole, what is he healing? And when it, when it comes to work, sin really kind of leads us to two broken approaches to our vocation. The first is some of us avoid work at all costs because we're lazy. And we'll come back to that in a little bit, right, because we want to end on a positive note. Um, so, so we'll get there. No, honestly, though, the, the second one is some of us worship work because we think it's going to provide something for us that we can't find anywhere else. Right? So, so work either becomes something we avoid or work becomes an idol that we worship. Now, I want to spend our first little bit of time here this morning talking about that idea of worshiping work. Because I think in, in our climate, where we live, that is a, a more prevalent temptation for many of us than laziness. Now, if you're lazy, don't worry. We'll get to you, right? But you're already fine of like, that's okay, take your time. Because that's your approach to life anyway. So, so we'll come back. Um, you know, you can, you've already checked out, but you can check back in a little bit. I'll, I'll clap my hands and let you know it's your turn, okay? Uh, but for some of us, we have this approach of, okay, I was create like already you've heard vocational wholeness and you're on the edge of your seat of like, yes, let's do this. Tell me I was created to work. Tell me I can earn and achieve and people have to listen to me. And it just, you're, you're already getting excited about what might be. If that's you, uh, we're going to look at a story that is about you, whether you know it or not, in Genesis chapter 11. So in Genesis 11, uh, we can kind of see the progression of work and the progression of sin and how it's working. Genesis 2, we're created to work. Genesis 3, sin corrupts our work. Genesis 11, this is what it looks like when our work has been thoroughly corrupted by sin. So in your Bible, Genesis 11, it probably has a little sub, subheading that says uh, the Tower of Babel. Right? And, and it's, it's kind of misnamed. It should be called probably the building of the city and the Tower of Babel by the people of Babel 
for the wrong reasons, and then God's response to it. Now, that's a long subheading, so I understand why they just went with the Tower of Babel. It's more memorable. But Genesis 11, let's read that. It'll be here on the screen for you if you don't have it. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come. Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build, a, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, there's a a lot of things that you can talk about in there, but what I want us to focus on just for this morning, the little bit of time we have with this story, is their motivation for work. Why did they set out to build the city and to build the tower? Well, first we would say, well, they were building the tower to reach the heavens. They wanted to become like God. But that wasn't actually their primary motivation. Their primary motivation comes after that. Let's make a name for ourselves so we will be remembered. And it begins to reveal this motivation that you and I often have for work. At some point in our life, we all have this kind of aha moment where we realize, my life is a mist, I'm not here very long, I don't know the name of my own great-great-grandparents, and the only chance I'm going to have of being significant now and being remembered when I die is if I do something important, if I build something that lasts. And so we begin to invest all of our time and all of our energy in that. And this is what the builders at Babel were doing. They're saying, hey, we recognize how short, how fleeting our time is. We recognize how insecure we are. We want to do something that lasts, so let's build. Now, now here's the thing. That longing they had in their heart was something God had put there. And he's put that in my heart and he's put that in your heart too. We all have this innate desire to be known right now, and to be remembered when we're gone. We all have a desire for our temporary lives to be part of a bigger story. And God put that into us in hopes and in order that we would turn our hearts toward Jesus as the only one who can bring eternal significance to our temporary needs. But what many of us do is we see that longing we have inside and we decide, I'm going to fill it with work. And so if we're we're really, really honest and we start to look at the the foundation, the motivation of our work ethic. Now, your, your, your strong work ethic is amazing. As your pastor, I see it. I see the way you serve. I see the way you work in your jobs. I see your discipline. I see your dedication. And, And honestly, it's impressive. It's like a work ethic. That's one of those things that as a dad, that's one of the most important things I want to give to my kids. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to love other people. And I want them to work hard. 
I want them to know what it's like to get up early and go to work. I want them to know what it's like to go to work when you don't feel like it. I want them to know what it's like to work hard even when you face adversity. I really want them, like it's, it's, a, it's a lesson. I can look at my family. My dad drilled that into me. My grandpa drilled it into him. My great-grandpa drilled it into him. And now we're drilling it into our kids as well. Of Hey, your dows, you work hard. There's no lazy people in this family, right? We believe in Paul's advice. If you don't work, you don't eat. So get a job or do something, right? It was one of my parents' most frequent punishments for me. You're being annoying, get to work. So I worked a lot as a kid and as a teenager because that was, I mean, you understand. But anyway, so we, we have this desire, and I know many of you with your kids, you have the same desire. I want them to learn to work. And we've been raised in an environment where a work ethic is held up as, I mean, hey, right next to following Jesus is that Protestant work ethic. We're going to build our country. We're going to build the world. We're going to, it's, it's all wonderful. But if we're really honest and we slow down and we really start to evaluate and we read the story of Genesis 11, I think that we'll find we have more similarities with the builders of Babel than we would care to admit. Because for many of us, the soil in which our strong work ethic grows is our insecurity. It's our fear that we're not going to be known. It's our fear that we're insignificant. And it's this, this fear of being forgotten when we're gone. And instead of us taking those things and surrendering to them to the Lord as we're intended to do, we just decide, I can work hard enough to satisfy all of these things. I can do enough to make sure I will be known and I will not be forgotten. And as we start down that road, what we're doing is we are making an idol of work and we're asking it to do something for us it was never intended to do. So for the, the builders of Babel, God comes and says, hey, I'm, I'm just not going to let this happen. And so he confuses their languages, their, their project is frustrated. And, and you and I, whether we know it or not, we've experienced the same thing in our life. God loves you too much to let you think you're satisfying eternal longings with temporary things. And anytime you get too far down that road, he's going to just keep letting you feel the emptiness in every space. I know we might not understand towers, but we understand ladders, right? So you have been told your whole life, you've got to climb the ladder. Climb the ladder of success. So for some of us, the first rung on that ladder was started when you were a kid of, hey, you've got to get good grades. You've got to get good grades. And if you get good grades, people are going to know you and they're going to recognize you and you're going to step up just a little bit. And then after you get good grades, if you can get into the right college, then you'll be a little more known. You'll have a few more doors open. It'll be good. And then if you can get the right job and you can get in the right place. And, but what happens to us as we go? Right? You climb the ladder and you just keep figuring out, well, I got what they said I was supposed to get, but I'm still not finally satisfied. I still don't have the ultimate fulfillment I have. And you might climb, I'm not going to, but you might climb all the way up to the top. Right? You're standing on the thing that says, this is not a step. But you're still there. I get, I, they said it wasn't, but I think if I stand there, I'll finally get it. And from the top of your little ladder, what do you do? You look around and you see, well, I think the problem is I need a bigger ladder. Because look at that guy over there. He's higher than I am. He has more importance. He has more influence, right? And, and so we, we get off that one, and we come over, and we start climbing this one. And you climb a little higher, and you climb a little higher, and you climb a little higher. But eventually what we all discover is we're climbing to nowhere. 
The ladder is never big enough. The tower never reaches the heavens. Right? I mean, just think of the absurdity of that for a moment. We're going to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. Oh, really? Are you? I'm going to climb a ladder that ends in my personal fulfillment and final peace. Oh, really? Are you? And you've had this, like, I don't have to belabor this, but I'm going to. You have went down this road, and you found it empty. I was talking to a buddy the other day of, wouldn't it be awesome if in every job there was the equivalent of the Super Bowl? Where you just knew, like, hey, there is, there is a top rung, and when I get there, everyone admits I'm the best and I'm the winner. Right? Now, okay, so Enneagram stuff. If you're a three like me, you're already like, yep, I want that. And you've already created it in your own mind, right? The, the whole world is in competition with you, whether they know it or not. But, but for the rest of you, just think for a minute, how awesome would that be? There would be a spot in your life. Moms, there would be an award. Not for the best mom on your street or at Christian Chapel or in your kid's elementary school, but that you could be crowned the best mom in the entire world for a given calendar year. You're telling me you don't want that? Right? Accountants. What if, what if they're, what, I, well, I don't even know what the Super Bowl of accounting would look like, but I think it would be boring. But what if you went to it? What if you went to it and won? Like, hey, of all the spreadsheets and checks and balances, you are the best. You win. You explained depreciation in a way that 45% of the people understood you. You're the best. We got you. You win, you win, you win. And you climb all the way to the top. All right, as, as a pastor. Man, if there was a Super Bowl of pastors, I would enter in a heartbeat. It'd be so much fun. Right? And, and I, would, I would embrace the competition of it. Because I would know if I could just climb one rung higher, I'm that much closer to being named the champion pastor for 2020. I didn't, and I'd take out anyone along the way. Because we're in competition, it's okay. I mean, men, we believe in women in ministry. I'll kick them off the ladder just like I'll kick men off the ladder because I want to I be the champ. But what do you find? So some of you in your jobs, you, you have the equivalent of this, right? Like you've got the performance review. You've got the quota you've got to hit. You've got some of these things, and, and you reach the top, and what do you find? Get to the top, and you find that your company came and said, good job. Here's the next rung. It's 10% higher for the next year. Right? Here's the next. It's, it's, it's like you're playing football, but the goal line is always moving. And you get right down, you think you're just about to punch it into the end zone, and then they're like, no, just kidding. It's five more yards. No, it's just five more. Yeah, those patient satisfaction scores, those were great. Here's a new batch of sick, whiny people. See if you can take care of them too. Right? You are the teacher of the year. Here's 30 new disasters for the new school year. Work your magic. And it, it, just, it just always moves. And, and for those of us that, that have ever, now I, I don't know what it's like to climb to the top rung of my field, but I know some of you do. And I've talked to enough of you to know that when you get to the top rung, if you're counting on that to be your source of fulfillment and meaning, it's empty. When we worship work, we set ourselves up for failure. Right? And it just doesn't matter how high you climb. It doesn't matter how much you possess. God is never going to allow you to find your ultimate meaning and fulfillment in work. When you do that, you've created work into an idol. 
and you've added a weight to it that it is never able to hold up under. So it's going to crumble. So for the people of Babel, he just says, hey, we're going we're gonna to confuse their language and we're going to scatter them. We're just going to put an end to this project so that they'll stop focusing on the wrong thing and maybe they'll be able to focus on the right thing. For some of us this morning, we've had experiences in our vocation where we've been up pretty high and we've gotten knocked off. Right, where, where you were climbing the ladder and then the ladder was taken away. And in that space, what most of us have found is a dependence on Jesus that we've never known before. And an awareness that, that we have been focusing on the wrong things. So what we have to ask ourselves then this morning, because some of us, we're in, we're in spots right now where we're fairly frustrated with our job. Right? And, and so what I want you to, to think about just for a moment is you might be climbing away. You might be on the short ladder, the tall ladder. You might have the even bigger ladder that I didn't even bring out this morning. But if you're experiencing vocational frustration, I want you to consider is it possible that the underlying cause is spiritual frustration? Is the reason you are so dissatisfied in your work because you are dissatisfied in your soul? Because you're asking your job to do something for you it was never intended to do. Work was never meant to be our ultimate source of identity. It was never meant to be the ultimate way that we are remembered. It was meant to be a form of worship. But it's just a part of our life, not all of our life. And so when, when work, we got to put these down because I've heard... If somebody falls off, they can file a worker's comp claim. Or if they, I mean, if they fell on Lauren on Staff Pastor Appreciation Day, that would be memorable. But not good. Without Jesus, work is always going to be a way for you to prove who you are. I matter. I'm significant. Look at me. Look what I've accomplished. Look how I've earned. But, but with Jesus, work is just another way that you're working out your identity. That you're living out who you are in Christ. And so, so if you're, you're here this morning, you're thinking, I need vocational wholeness. It starts with spiritual wholeness. Unless you're right with Jesus, you'll never be right at work. But from that relationship with him, you can then begin to approach work as worship. This is what Paul talks to us about in Colossians chapter 3. So Colossians 3, uh, verses 22 through 24, we find some instructions that Paul gives to slaves. Now, we, we don't have time to get into all of it, but basically, here, here's what you need to understand. Paul doesn't come right out and say, hey, we need to do away with slavery. Instead, what he does is he gives a set of instructions to masters and to slaves that if they are followed, will completely erode the institution of slavery and it will crumble from the inside out. Because he's going to tell masters, you're going to treat them like your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's going to tell slaves, you're going to treat them like your brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you do this, you're going to come to understand no man can own another. Right, this form of captivity just can't happen. And, and this is exactly what happens. Everywhere the church is established and the gospel progresses, slavery ultimately crumbles. It cannot last when the gospel is eating away its foundation. But what's, what's interesting, though, is, is here Paul is just giving some advice to slaves about how they are to live and how they are to work. And so I want us to, to just hear them and to begin to think, how do I apply them? Me, as a, a free worker, how do I still apply these statements that he's making here. So Colossians 2, uh, I have 23 and 24. I'm going to start in verse 22, though. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. What Paul is telling us here is Christians have the highest motivation to be good workers. Right? So lazy people, lock back in. Right? Pay attention. This part's for you. It is an absolute disgrace and discredit to the gospel for Christians to be lazy, entitled, apathetic workers. Since you're lazy, I'll say it again. It is a disgrace to the gospel for Christians to be lazy, entitled, apathetic workers. Paul tells us, Paul doesn't actually tell us, Paul first tells slaves, you are to serve with sincerity of heart out of reverence for Christ. Whatever you do, do it as if you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. Now, if anyone ever had the right to say, I don't have to work hard because my master is a slave driver, it was the slave. But what does Paul tell them? It doesn't matter who your human master is. It matters that you worship God with the way that you work. So if he could say that to them in the the terrible situation they're in, what would he say to you and I? When our response is, but I I don't love my job. It's not a dream job. But you don't know my boss. They're not a nice person. They they are just, they're unrealistic. They are unceasing in their demands. They are horrible. They're a screamer. They're a yeller. They throw things. They fire people left and right. What's Paul's response? Wherever you are working, work with all your heart as if you are working for Jesus Christ and not for other people. So some of us, we have this idea of like, hey, you know what? You know when I'll work hard? I'll work hard when I get my dream job. I'll work hard when I'm in charge. I'll work hard when, when, when everyone's looking to me, when I start my own company. I'll, look hard when, I'll work hard when I'm the manager. And what the scriptures are, are teaching us here, what Jesus reiterates with, with some of his parables, is if you won't work hard where you are, you will never get where you want to be. And if you do, you're not going to work hard when you do get there. So for us as followers of Christ, we cannot be clock punchers. We can't be the people who do just enough to get by. Now, again, some of you who worship work, you're already sitting there like, yeah, get them. That's why I work 80 hours a week. Okay, go back to the story of Babel. You need to think about that again. Work through all of that. But but we also have to understand it's this this balance we're living in. We're not going to worship work, but we're also not going to worship laziness. We're not going to give in to either extreme, but we're going to understand wherever God has placed me and whatever he has called me to do, it matters because he has put me here to do it. All right, so so I've got to work hard now. Your work should be a better place because you're there. Again, Paul's talking to slaves. No matter how terrible your boss might be, no matter how stressful your work environment might be, if you are there, you are to work as if you are working to the Lord. Now, I I get sometimes there are these terrible, toxic work environments, and you've got to get out. That's a separate conversation. The point of this passage is wherever you are right now, go to work. You have to work. Work is never just a job. It's never just an obligation. It is always an opportunity for worship. 
And when we exchange our culture's misguided views of work for one of work is worship, it transforms the way we approach every single day. So I want to I finish just with, with three, three quick ideas about work um, that, that just come out of a, a lot of my conversations that I have with people as a pastor. I mean, work and relationships and money. Those are probably the three things we spend the most time counseling people with because that's where a lot of our stress comes from. It's where we spend a lot of our time. And so when it comes to work, there, there are a couple ideas that I come back to again and again when I talk to people. The, the first is, is we're often faced with this question of, hey, what do I do when my job pays the bills but it doesn't change the world, right? And, and I think we've, we've all kind of found ourselves in that position. If you've worked very long, uh, either volunteer or paid, you probably launched into the, to the career you're in or the vocation you're in thinking, this is great, this is awesome, I'm really making a difference, I'm making an impact, I'm providing for my family, I'm influencing all these people. But somewhere along the line, in every single job, in every single job, we get to the point where we think, if I stopped doing this tomorrow, somebody would come take my place, right? And, and, and so I know for a lot of you, if you're in corporate jobs especially, that's a, that's a really tough spot. If you're in a large organization, because you know if you left tomorrow, somebody else would be in your seat, some of you that afternoon, some of you it might take them a couple weeks to fill. If you're really important, it might take them a couple months to fill, but ultimately it's going to be filled. And so what do you do in that space of, hey, I'm paying the bills but I don't necessarily feel like I'm irreplaceable in changing the world. Like for me as a pastor, I, I love my job. I feel called to do this. It's more than a job. It's a calling. But I also know if I stop being the pastor of Christian Chapel tomorrow, y'all are going to get like 100 applications in the next three months from people that want to do what I'm doing. Right? Now, you're not going to love them as much, but you're going to get a, a new one probably. And, you know, I'll see your Facebook post later of, hey, we're happy to welcome him. And I'll know you're just being nice because what you want to say is he's not Chris. Uh, you know, but, but I understand. One of the, the best gifts God has given me is, is an incredible understanding of how temporary my role is here. If you go back in my office, you can find some old nameplates that I have taped to a door. It says Chris Dow, youth pastor, Chris Dow, co-pastor. And one day, Chris Dow, lead pastor, will be slapped right under there. And then somebody's going to come in and take them all off and throw them in the trash. Right? And, and so when you start to really consider that, it, it starts to make you think, well, man, do, does this even matter? Am I making an impact? And so, so if you're in that spot and you're thinking, I, I don't know that it does. Even if you're the business owner, you, at some point you have this thought of, does it matter? Somebody else will always take my place. So what do you do? Well, the response of many people in our culture is, I'm going I'm to find another ladder. I'm going to quit what I'm doing because I don't think it has enough impact. I'm going to go find something else. If God calls you to do that, do it. If you're doing it to satisfy a need in your soul, you're going to find the next ladder doesn't meet it either. So what do you do when it pays the bills but it doesn't change the world? What do you do? You thank God that he's placed you in this position. And you trust that if he has put you here, it's for a reason. Right? And, and the primary reason might not actually be your responsibilities at work, but it might be more the people who are around you at work. You are there to be a light in the darkness. You are there to be part of establishing his kingdom. Through that job, he's providing a way for you to take care of yourself, to live generously, to care for others, to take care of your family. And so what do we do when, when our work isn't really just this thing that makes us come alive every morning? We go to work and we thank God and we worship in our work. And we just stay disciplined, 
And we say, Lord, if you want to lead me somewhere else, I'll follow. But if not, I'm going to work here. And if that is three years or 30 years, I'm going to work every day as an act of worship for you. The, the second thing that's, that's kind of correlated to that is we have to understand our professional competence is designed to be a platform to tell other people about Jesus. So when you go to work, it's not just that work is worship of, oh, thank God for, for giving me these opportunities. But it's also that you are going to work and your work and the way you work and the results of your work are intended to be a platform for you to tell other people about Jesus Christ. But that professional competence is, is really important for us to understand. Because here's the thing. Nobody wants to take advice from the laziest, most incompetent person in the office or on the job site. And I'm not saying that you have to be the, the top of the class, the best student around, that you have to be number one in your field, that you have to have the, the most revenue, the most income, any of these kinds of things. What I am saying is that the way you work, your work ethic, your integrity, the way you treat your coworkers, the way you talk about your boss, the way you treat your difficult clients and customers, the way you approach the classes that are part of your major but you don't care at all about them, the, the way that you deal with the headaches and the hassles of every day, as you do those and display a high level of professional competence, it creates an opportunity for others to look at you and think, I want what they have. Now, most of the time what they're thinking is, I want the job that they have. I want the respect that they have, right? They're looking at the ladder, and they're saying, I want to get on the rung that you're on. And what happens in a lot of work environments, or maybe, maybe transition it to parenting. If, if parenting is your vocation, they look at your kids and think, I want kids like those. They're teenagers, and I just saw them hug their mom. He didn't even growl at her. He just hugged her. Like, I, I want that. Right? So, so what do we do? What's she saying? She's saying, I want to get on your ladder. I want to climb as high as you've climbed. Our professional competence in any area is intended to be a platform for the gospel. So what that means is when people come and say, how and why and what can I do, our response first before, well, let me teach you how to build a resume. Let me teach you how to network is, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how, you know, I, I've, I've had a lot of success in my vocation. But it, it's all pretty meaningless. It can all be taken away tomorrow. Here's where my real peace comes from. Here's where my real security comes from. And as you begin to tell those stories, but, but again, the way you work the projects is what gives you the opportunity to talk to the people. And if you're not going to do the project well, they're not going to care what you think. Right? And so these things are correlated. And then the last thing I want you to consider this morning is work is hard. So work hard. This is what Paul tells us in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, even when you, some of you, you're, you're fortunate enough, you're working your dream job right now. Like, this is the thing you always wanted to do. And you're doing it. And, but what do you discover in every dream job? There's an element of it that is still a job. There's the dream side of it that you get to experience and you love. And there's the job side of it that you're not quite so sure about. And, and so for some of us, we get that experience and we're like, well, I got it. But it's not what I wanted, so I guess I need to find something else. Where, where really what we need to do is just settle into the spot of work is hard. So I'm going to work hard. Vocational wholeness is not the end of all of these struggles. It's learning to embrace the power and presence of Jesus in the struggle. So, so for me as a pastor, I, I remember I was in uh, it was the summer before eighth grade. And I was at this, this youth camp in Augusta, Kansas, outside Wichita. 
And it, it's this, this great camp. There's probably five or 600 kids who are there. And we had this really powerful service. And at the end of the night, uh, we were kind of gathered with our youth group off to the side. And, and we're praying and, and kind of taking some time. And I remember my youth pastor asking me, Chris, what do you feel like God's saying to you tonight? And I, I told him, I said, I, I think God's calling me into ministry. And it, it was this great moment. Why? Because I wanted to be called into ministry like what I was experiencing right there. I wanted some Apostle Paul moments. Right? I, I wanted to preach to those who'd never heard about Jesus and see them surrender their lives. I wanted to lay my hands on the sick and see them recover. I wanted to be the guy at the youth camp calling teenagers into lives of purpose and meaning. I wanted that. That was the dream. And then I went through this process of God confirming it. And I went to college and I went to seminary and I came to Christian chapel. And, and I've, I've worked the dream and I've discovered it's also a job. And there are still, there are lots of those days that I love. Like my heart is full of, I can't believe God lets me do this. And then there are some of those days of, I can't believe God makes me do this. Because it's a dream job. And it's work, so it's hard. And I mean, honestly, there are a lot of days where I feel a lot more like Dwight Schrute than the Apostle Paul. All right, I know some of you don't get that, but we'll say Dilbert. I feel more like Dilbert than the Apostle Paul. There you go. You still got a newspaper subscription. Uh, so so you, you know what I mean, though? Like, God called me to ministry. God called me to change lives, to preach the gospel. And I'm over here like, hey, we need to make a decision on this HMO or this PPO. Like, I, I, I did not go to seminary for this. I studied the context of Genesis 11, not max out of pocket a year. I don't care. We have termites. I don't care. I don't care. Burn the place down. We'll rent somewhere else. I am the man. But, but why? But I got to work hard. Or I got to hire an executive pastor. And you just say, Chris, can you? And he does such a good job. But all of us, whatever your vocation, right, you're sitting here this morning, some of you are college students, and you're thinking, I can't wait to get paid what I'm training to do. And it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be wonderful. But somewhere along the way, the dream feels like a job. When it feels like a job, what do you do? You recognize work is hard. So I'm, and I'm just going to trust that God is with me in the process. I'm going to trust that he's leading and he's guiding me. And I'm going to trust that as I do everything as if I'm doing it for the Lord, that's what adds significant meaning and worth to it, right? When you're in the, just the mundane, ordinary details of your Monday morning tomorrow, it matters because Jesus has placed you there and Jesus is there. So do the project well to create a platform to tell people about Jesus. Vocational wholeness is about so much more than your performance reviews and your bank accounts. It's about, am I embracing all of life as an opportunity to experience the fullness of life in the Spirit and to let Him overflow into the world around me? So if you'll stand with me, that's what I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, we come to you. We are people in need of your light and your life. Lord, you see those who are here today, and, and they don't have any vocational wholeness because they don't have a relationship with you. They've never surrendered their lives to you. They've never asked you to forgive them of their sins, to become the Lord and Savior of their life. And Jesus, I pray today that they would make that decision. That their vocational frustration would point them to their spiritual emptiness. And they would see you as the solution for all of those needs. 
Lord, I pray for those who are here today, the, the business owners, the bosses, the managers, the supervisors, the employees, the stay-at-home parents, the volunteers, those who are retired, those who are in school, Lord, in, in every space, I believe that you have a vocation, a calling on our lives. Lord, I pray that you would begin to show us that, that you are at work in every one of those spaces. You see the challenges, you see the headaches, you see how work is hard, but we're trusting you, Lord, that you have placed us here for a purpose. You have placed us here for a reason in this season to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done in our job as it is in heaven. So Lord, I pray that tomorrow morning as we return to work, you would fill us with the power of your spirit. You would give us your wisdom, you would give us your strength, you would give us your faith, you would give us your eyes to see the opportunities we have to be part of proclaiming your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As the band leads us in a final song, if you'd like someone to join with you, maybe it's in a prayer to say yes to Jesus, maybe it's specific issues you're facing at work, if you'll head out the back doors and to your left, some of our pastors and prayer team will be waiting to pray with you in the prayer room. The rest of us, we're going to sing this song as a reminder of the greatness of God this morning.
back to work, back to school, back to any place where you're applying yourself this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow. My prayer for you is that you enter into every interaction this week with an increased awareness that you're walking in to a worship experience. That classroom is an auditorium for worship, right? That office space is a place where the presence of God dwells. That difficult conversation is a moment where the power of the Holy Spirit will be at work. Those hiring decisions, those firing decisions, those choices about what you're gonna do and how you're gonna navigate this next season, in all of those spaces, the great God that we just sang about is active, has a purpose, has a plan, and has put you there for these moments. What you do matters, not because of who you are and not because of what you're doing, but because God has put you there and told you to do it. So may you work as an act of worship. May you work as a way to tell others about the goodness and the grace of God. And my prayer for you is that as you experience spiritual wholeness in Christ, it overflows in vocational wholeness in all of your life. Thank you for worshiping with us today. May you go in God's grace and his peace. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.